On the 13th of November, 1803, at the age of 29, she pronounced her solemn vows and became the spouse of Jesus Christ in the convent of Annettenburg at Dülmen. When I had pronounced my vows, she says, my relations were again extremely kind to me. My father and my eldest brother brought me two pieces of cloth. My father, a good but stern man, and who had been much averse to my entering the convent, had told me, when we parted, that he would willingly pay for my burial, but that he would give nothing for the convent, and he kept his word, for this piece of cloth was the winding sheet used for my spiritual burial in the convent. I was not thinking of myself, she says again. I was thinking of nothing but our Lord and my holy vows. My companions could not understand me, nor could I explain my state to them. God concealed from them many of the favors which he had bestowed upon me. Otherwise, they would have had very false ideas concerning me, notwithstanding all my trials and sufferings. I was never more rich interiorly, and my soul was perfectly flooded with happiness. My soul only contained one chair without a seat, and another without a back. Yet in my eyes it was magnificently furnished, and when there I often thought myself in heaven. Frequently during the night, impelled by love and by the mercy of God, I poured forth the feelings of my soul by conversing with him in loving and familiar language, as I had always done from my childhood. And then those who were watching me would accuse me of irreverence and disrespect toward God. Once, I happened to say that it appeared to me that I should be guilty of greater disrespect did I receive the body of our Lord without having conversed familiarly with him, and I was severely reprimanded. Amid all these trials, I yet lived in peace with God and with all his creatures. When I was working in the garden, the birds would come and rest on my head and shoulders, and we would together sing the praises of God. I always beheld my angel guardian at my side, and although the devil used frequently to assault and terrify me in various ways, he was never permitted to do me much harm. My desire for the blessed sacrament was so irresistible that often at night I left my cell and went to the church, if it was open, but if not, I remained at the door or by the walls, even in winter, kneeling or prostrate, with my arms extended in ecstasy. The convent chaplain, who was so charitable as to come early to give me the Holy Communion, used to find me in this state. But as soon as he was come and had opened the church, I always recovered and hastened to the Holy Table, there to receive my Lord and my God. When I was sacristan, I used all on a sudden to feel myself ravished in spirit and ascend to the highest parts of the church, onto cornices, projecting parts of the building and moldings where it seemed impossible for any being to get by human means. Then I cleaned and arranged everything and appeared to me that I was surrounded by blessed spirits 
who transported me about and held me up in their hands. Their presence did not cause me the least uneasiness, for I had been accustomed to it from my childhood, and I used to have the most sweet and familiar intercourse with them. It was only when I was in the company of certain men that I was really alone, and so great was then my feeling of loneliness that I could not help crying like a child that has strayed from home. We now proceed to her illnesses, omitting any description of some other remarkable phenomena of her ecstatic life, only recommending the reader to compare the accounts we have already given with what is related of St. Mary Magdalene of Patsy. Anne Catherine had always been weak and delicate, and yet had been, from her earliest childhood, in the habit of practicing many mortifications, of fasting and of passing the night in watching and prayer in the open air. She had been accustomed to continual hard labor in the fields at all seasons of the year, and her strength was also necessarily much tried by the exhausting and supernatural states through which she so frequently passed. At the convent, she continued to work in the garden and in the house, while her spiritual labors and sufferings were ever on the increase, so that it is by no means surprising that she was frequently ill. But her illnesses arose from yet another cause. We have learned from careful observations made every day for the space of four years, and also from what she herself was unwillingly forced to admit, that during the whole course of her life, and especially during that part of it which she spent at the convent, when she enjoyed the highest spiritual favors, a great portion of her illnesses and sufferings came from taking upon herself the sufferings of others. Sometimes she asked for the illness of a person who did not bear it patiently, and relieved him of the whole or of a part of his sufferings by taking them upon herself. Sometimes, wishing to expiate a sin or put an end to some suffering, she gave herself up into the hands of God, and he, accepting her sacrifice, permitted her thus, in union with the merits of his passion, to expiate the sin by suffering some illness corresponding to it. She had consequently to bear not only her own maladies, but those also of others, to suffer an expiation of the sins of her brethren, and of the faults and negligences of certain portions of the Christian community, and finally, to endure many and various sufferings and satisfaction for the souls of purgatory. All these sufferings appeared like real illnesses, which took the most opposite and variable forms, and she was placed entirely under the care of the doctor, who endeavored by earthly remedies to cure illnesses, which in reality were the very sources of her life. She said on this subject, Repose and suffering has always appeared to me the most desirable condition possible. The angels themselves would envy us, were envy none in perfection. But for sufferings to be really meritorious, we must patiently and gratefully accept unsuitable remedies and comforts, and all other additional trials. I did not myself fully understand my state, 
nor know what it was to lead to. In my soul I accepted my different sufferings, but my body it was my duty to strive against them. I had given myself wholly and entirely to my heavenly spouse, and his holy will was being accomplished in me. But I was living on earth, where I was not to rebel against earthly wisdom and earthly prescriptions. Even had I fully comprehended my state, and had both time and power to explain it, there was no one near who would have been able to understand me. The doctor would simply have concluded that I was entirely mad, and would have increased his expensive and painful remedies tenfold. I have suffered much in this way during the whole of my life, and particularly when I was at the convent, from having unsuitable remedies administered to me. Often, when my doctors and nurses had reduced me to the last agony, and that I was near death, God took pity on me, and sent me some supernatural assistance, which effected an entire cure. Four years before the suppression of her convent, she went to Flamska for two days to visit her parents. While there, she went once to kneel and pray for some hours before the miraculous cross of the Church of St. Lambert at Kosfeld. She besought the Almighty to bestow the gifts of peace and unity upon her convent, offered him the passion of Jesus Christ for that intention, and implored him to allow her to feel a portion of the sufferings which were endured by her divine spouse on the cross. From the time that she made this prayer, her hands and feet became burning and painful, and she suffered constantly from fever, which she believed was the cause of the pain in her hands and feet, for she did not dare to think that her prayer had been granted. Often she was unable to walk, and the pain in her hands prevented her from working as usual in the garden. On the 3rd of December, 1811, the convent was suppressed, and the church closed. The nuns dispersed in all directions, but Anne Catherine remained poor and ill. A kind-hearted servant belonging to the monastery attended upon her out of charity, and an aged emigrant priest, who said Mass in the convent, remained also with her. These three individuals, being the poorest of the community, did not leave the convent until the spring of 1812. She was still very unwell and could not be moved without great difficulty. The priest lodged with a poor widow who lived in the neighborhood, and Aunt Catherine had in the same house a wretched little room on the ground floor which looked on the street. There she lived in poverty and sickness until the autumn of 1813. Her ecstasies in prayer and her spiritual intercourse with the invisible world became more and more frequent. She was about to be called to a state with which she was herself but imperfectly acquainted, in order to enter which she did nothing but submissively abandon herself to the will of God. Our Lord was pleased about this time to imprint upon her virginal body the stigmata of his cross and of his crucifixion, which were to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles folly, and to many persons who call themselves Christians, both the one and the other. From her very earliest childhood she had besought our Lord to impress the marks of his cross deeply upon her heart, 
that so she might never forget his infinite love for men. But she had never thought of receiving any outward marks. Rejected by the world, she prayed more fervently than ever for this end. On the 28th of August, the feet of Saint, Feast of St. Augustine, the patron of her order, as she was making this prayer in bed, ravished in ecstasy and her arms stretched forth, she beheld a young man approach her surrounded with light. It was under this form that her divine spouse usually appeared to her. He now made upon her body, with his right hand, the mark of a common cross. From this time there was a mark like a cross upon her bosom, consisting of two bands crossed about three inches long and one wide. Later the skin often rose in blisters on this place, as if from a burn, and when these blisters burst, a burning colorless liquid issued from them, sometimes in such quantities as to soak through several sheets. She was long without perceiving what the case really was, and only thought that she was in a strong perspiration. The particular meaning of this mark has never been known. Some weeks later, when making the same prayer, she fell into an ecstasy and beheld the same apparition which presented her with a little cross of the shape described in her accounts of the Passion. She eagerly received and fervently pressed it to her bosom, and then returned it. She said that this cross was as soft and white as wax, but she was not at first aware that it had made an external mark upon her bosom. A short time after, having gone with her landlady's little girl to visit an old hermitage near Dunman, she all on a sudden fell into an ecstasy, fainted away, and on her recovery was taken home by a poor peasant woman. The sharp pain which she felt in her chest continued to increase, and she saw that there was what looked like a cross about three inches in length pressed tightly upon her breastbone, looking red through the skin. As she had spoken about her vision to a nun with whom she was intimate, her extraordinary state began to be a good deal talked of. On All Souls Day, 1812, she went out for the last time, and with much difficulty succeeded in reaching the church. From that time till the end of the year she seemed to be dying, and received the last sacraments. At Christmas a smaller cross appeared on the top of that upon her chest. It was the same shape as the larger one, so that the two together formed a double forked cross. Blood flowed from this cross every Wednesday, so as to leave the impression of its shape on paper laid over it. After a time, this happened on Fridays instead. In 1814, this flow of blood took place less frequently, but the cross became as red as fire every Friday. At a later period of her life, more blood flowed from this cross, especially every Good Friday, but no attention was paid to it. On the 30th of March, 1821, the writer of these pages saw this cross of a deep red color and bleeding all over. In its usual state, it was colorless, and in its position only marked by slight cracks in the skin. Other ecstatics have received similar marks of the cross. Among others, Catherine of Arconis, Marina de Alascabar, Emilia Bashiri, St. Juliana Facneri, etc. She received the stigmata on the last days of the year 1812. 
on the 29th of December, about three o'clock in the afternoon, she was lying on her bed in her little room, extremely ill, but in a state of ecstasy and with her arms extended, meditating on the sufferings of her Lord and beseeching him to allow her to suffer with him. She said five Our Fathers in honor of the five wounds and felt her whole heart burning with love. She then saw a light descending toward her and distinguished in the midst of it the resplendent form of her crucified Savior, whose wounds shone like so many furnaces of light. Her heart was overflowing with joy and sorrow, and at the height of the sacred wounds, her desire to suffer with her Lord became intensely violent. Then triple rays, pointed like arrows with the color of blood, darted forward from the hands, feet, and the side of the sacred apparition, and struck her hands, feet, and right side. Triple rays from the side formed a point like the head of a lance. The moment these rays touched her, drops of blood flowed from the wounds which they made. Long did she remain in a state of insensibility, and when she recovered her senses, she did not know who had lowered her outstretched arms. It was with astonishment that she beheld blood flowing from the palms of her hands and felt violent pain in her feet and side. It happened that her landlady's little daughter came into her room, saw her hands bleeding, and ran to tell her mother, who with great anxiety asked Anne Catherine what had happened, but was begged by her not to speak about it. She felt, after having received the stigmata, that an entire change had taken place in her body, for the course of her blood seemed to have changed, and to flow rapidly toward the stigmata. She herself used to say, No words can describe in what manner it flows. We are indebted to a curious incident for our knowledge of the circumstances which we have here related. On the 15th of December, 1819, she had a detailed vision of all that had happened to herself, but so that she thought it concerned some other nun who she imagined must be living not far off, and who she supposed had experienced the same things as herself. She related all these details with a very strong feeling of compassion, humbling herself without knowing it before her own patience and sufferings. It was most touching to hear her say, I ought never to complain any more, now that I have seen the sufferings of that poor nun. Her heart is surrounded with a crown of thorns, but she bears it placidly and with a smiling countenance. It is shameful indeed for me to complain, for she has a far heavier burden to bear than I have. These visions, which she afterwards recognized to be her own history, were several times repeated, and it is from them that the circumstances under which she received the stigmata became known. Otherwise, she would not have related so many particulars about what her humility never permitted her to speak of, and concerning which, when asked by her spiritual superiors whence her wounds proceeded, the utmost she said was, I hope that they come from the hand of God. <laughs>